And you uh, may be seated. Uh, and also, at this time, we're going to dismiss our children downstairs. One additional plug for the marriage retreat. Uh, in some ways, uh, this is, could be an embarrassing advertisement for the couple I'm going to single out. Uh, but uh, I've been married uh, almost 20 years, and uh, I look um, to my grandparents as uh, those who've been there and done that a lot longer than I have. And so this Wednesday, if I know if that's correct, uh, she's mad at me already for singling her out, uh, they will be celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. So... Uh, their 50th wedding anniversary, I had the privilege of officiating as they renewed their vows, so that was a special time, but to see you here with us this morning, we're grateful you're here, and also grateful for the example. Uh, to get from 20 to 60, we need the Lord, amen? And so if you're thinking, eh, about the marriage retreat, I'm good, uh, and maybe underestimating some of the issues and challenges that you face in your relationship, uh, a worthwhile investment it will be for you to sign up for that and register for that. Uh, and so, uh, please, let this be a, an additional plug. We want to see all the marriages in this room uh, celebrate, like uh, I should say, Walt and Carolyn Ulig, otherwise known as Grandma and Grandpa. Uh, they're your 60th, so we trust that these, kind of doing this every other year, we trust that these retreats will be something that will instigate that. So if you're thinking about it, not sure, uh, here's, here's my point of advice. Sign up. Period. We look forward to seeing you there. And happy anniversary. What are you doing here? Like, really, what are, you, what are you doing here right now? Why are you here this morning? There are so many other things that you could be doing right now. We live in a day and age where there are multiple options of what we can do on a Sunday morning. It's endless. The hectic, busy nature of our lives. Uh, there are a lot of options. Culture is taking them, right? There are, are, there's an IHOP somewhere putting pancakes on somebody's plate, all right? There's a restaurant serving warm, comfortable food. There's a couch somewhere that you can enjoy and recover from the craziness of life. Uh, as I know, uh, oftentimes what I feel on the weekend is a, uh, a long list of things that need to be done around the house. Raise your hand if you feel that on the weekend right, men and women, that uh, during the week it's hard to, to check some things off the list, and so the weekend, it's, it's an opportunity for sure to get some things done. I uh, remember taking one uh, vacation, staycation, and uh, we, 99 times over 100, find another place to worship, but for whatever reason, this Sunday, Dorian and I decided to not go to church. Everyone go, oh! <gasps> We did not go to church, we stayed home, and yet I made a run to Home Depot for something, and I noticed 
that the parking lot at Home Depot was full. And I thought, you know, with all the empty seats at church when I go to work, where are these people? Well, I know where they are. Uh, they're at Home Depot. Uh, everyone's at Home Depot. You can feel uh, that Sundays, the weekends, there's an opportunity to get some things done that you otherwise don't have the time to do. Uh, oftentimes in our mobile society, people travel. There's places to go, things to see. There's a world of opportunity out there. And I don't know about you, but I have felt this the last five or six years with my children. There's always a tournament to be played, always an athletic event to go to. There's always a pull. And so the question becomes, what are you doing here today? With all the options out there, with all the pulls of society, what are you doing here this morning? Why are you sitting in this room now? The topic of corporate worship seems to be risky as well. Now, throughout the history of the church, there's been what people have called worship wars. And so as we go into this uh, series on corporate worship, trying to figure out what we're doing here, uh, it may seem a little awkward, it may seem a little risky to talk about worship. And uh, it may seem like there's a lot of differing opinions about this, that there's some confusion about the, the, the essence of what we are doing and the importance of what takes place when we worship here together. So when asking that question, we want to be very careful, too, as we turn to this new series on corporate worship. We want to ask that question and be careful to not reduce worship to 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Right? If there's anything that we've looked at in our last series, it's that we feel it compelled to equip Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship. Right? That worship is life. It's 24-7, 365. It is our decisions, our relationships, our, our mindset. It's our relationship, and that is a constant reality, our relationship with God, I should emphasize. And so we don't want to reduce worship to 90 minutes on Sunday morning. And yet, while we don't want to reduce worship to that, we recognize that what is going on here is unique. And if anything, if worship is all of life, that this is a significant part of living that life of worship out. And so we don't want to reduce worship to this moment, but we also see this as an integral part of living out a faithful life of worship. So that's what this series is going to be all about. You know, in the life of this congregation, we've emphasized properly that worship is all of life, as I've already said. And yet, be, we have to be careful to not, uh, to not minimize the significance of what we're doing now. And so we're asking that. We're taking a look at it. What are we doing when we worship corporately? And how should we worship? Does that question even matter? How? Like, what are the elements of the service and what we do together? Is that even important? And really, I would hope that this series would further help us to be more faithful in our approach, right? To experience all the more the richness 
of what worship is and why we are doing it. So I want to invite you to start this as kind of an introduction to the series. I want you to turn to Psalm 95. Short Psalm, one that we looked at in our Hebrew series as it's quoted extensively in Hebrews, if you remember that series. What are we doing here? Why are we here? How should we worship? Psalm 95, listen to what the psalmist says. If you have a Bible, follow along, or you can just simply read what's up on the screen. The psalmist says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The psalmist right away calls us to worship, calls the reader, the listener to worship right away. Oh, emphatic, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. Verse 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. There is a very clear and emphatic call to the listener, to the reader, to us today. And this call is very simple. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. We are a people that is called to worship the Lord. And not just individuals, right? This command is to a people. We, let us come, let us Make a joyful noise. Let us come into His presence. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. It is a call to a collection of people, a, a body, if you will, a body of people. It's a call to a nation here to worship, to kneel, to sing. It is a call for a people to worship. 
That is the call that is placed on each and every one of us. It is a call to worship the Lord. If you're wondering, what does God want from me? What is He asking of me? What does the Scriptures say? What do they ask of me? What is the call that they place on my life? Let it be very simple this morning. You are called to worship the Lord. We are called to worship the Lord. We talked about this in our last series. Why we exist as a church. Why anything exists, period. To worship the Lord. Everything is for His worship, His fame, and His glory. So let it be very clear today. We are a people that is called to worship the Lord. And then you say, why? Well, that's what it says next. It gives us reasons why we are called to worship the Lord. Let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into His presence. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. Why? Verse 3, for the Lord is a great God. Hear that today. Why? He's a great king above all gods. Why? In his very hand is the depths of the earth. Why? The heights of the mountains are his also. Just quick side comment. If God has in his hand the depths of the earth, and he also has in his hand what? The heights of the mountains. Guess what he has in his hand? Everything in between. The Lord is in control and has sovereign authority. He holds in His hand all things. From the depths of the earth to the heights of the mountains. That's why we are to worship Him. Why? He is our Creator. He made it. Everything in this world that we see All of creation, from here to Auckland, New Zealand, the farthest part you can go from this place, He made it. It's His. It's in His hands. Why should we worship God? Verse 7, for He is our God. Why? We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. To put it simply, we are called to worship because of Who the Lord is. That's why we're called to worship. We're called to worship Him because of who He is. He is the rock of our salvation. He is a great God. He is the great King above all gods. He is the one who has sovereign authority over all that He has made. He is our Creator. He is our Shepherd. He is our God. That is why we are called to worship Him. It's as simple as that. We worship God because of who He is and who He has made us in relationship to Him, right? Don't forget that. We are His people, the the sheep of His hand. So we worship Him because of who He is. We worship Him because who He has made us to be. And every time that we come and worship God together on a Sunday morning, we're reminded of that. 
the nature of God. Our very identity as the people of God. This is who God is. You may have heard something different throughout the week. Let me be very clear about who God is. And so we turn to the scriptures and we see and we're reminded. And we are, what? Responding to that reality. That is the nature of what takes place here. God has done something. God has revealed Himself to us and we are now responding to His nature. So when we come here, we come as those who have known Him and who are now responding to what He has made known about Himself. That's what we're doing. Responding to His nature. Responding to to his work. You see, every Sunday, and we do this when we pray upstairs, we remind the worship team, we remind each other before we go up there to lead the worship service or to preach. We are not performing here. We are not uh, uh, putting on display our own glory or our own name. We are not in any way, shape, or form trying to create some experience for people when they come here. That's not what worship is at all. We are serving the people. We're putting the attention on God. And you know what we're doing here? We're responding together to the work of God to save His people from their sins and to to reconcile them back to Himself. We're here to celebrate something that God has already accomplished in Jesus Christ. Do you come with that kind of expectation, that attitude, that celebration? We're coming to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that he's alive, and that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death. So we're coming to respond to something God has already accomplished in human history. That's what we're doing when we worship, right? That's an important thing to know and to remember. What are we doing here? We're not trying to create or conjure up some sort of meaningful experience for people. No, God already did that. God already did the meaningful thing in history that now we remind ourselves of, we preach about, we think about, we, we, we put on display, we celebrate the action of God together. I want you to see that. If you, if, if you miss everything, just get this, that, that to be simple about it, corporate worship is responding to God's revealing of himself okay so we're responding when we come here this is an active response we're not initiators we're responders and i know this might uh push back on some historic or traditional thinking especially with a with an outward focused church in the movement that's happened over the last 30 years but ultimately We're not the seekers here. John 4 makes that really clear. That it is the Father that is seeking worshipers. It's the Father who is the seeker. Right? You see, we're the sought after, not the seeker. That Christ, in coming into the world, has has obeyed the Father as He has pursued through covenant sinful humanity to redeem them back to himself. We're not the seeker ultimately. It is God that seeks 
us and reveals himself to us. We are the responders. We're the sought after. What an awesome thing. You may have come here this morning, and, and, and I don't want to overstate it, to seek the Lord. That is a good thing. Right? The Lord does invite us to seek His face. But understand this, that seeking is a responding to His seeking. It's a response. Do you see that? I'm, I feel like I'm overstating it at this point, but I really want that to set in. What we do here is respond to the action of God in Jesus Christ. That's what worship is. We're here because we've already received. I think uh, in a consumer-driven society, oftentimes we approach corporate worship with a what-am-I-going-to-get-out-of-it mentality. I'm here to receive. I'm here to receive religious goods and services that are provided to me for my own personal wellness and benefit. I don't think that's biblical at all. Now understand this. When we come appropriately and faithfully to corporate worship, there is an, an immense outpouring of God's grace into your life. So I think we are fed when we come here, right? We are built up. We are encouraged. We may come with empty hearts and empty hands, and yet and God dispenses His grace when we approach Him in corporate worship. That is a significant thing that takes place, but not primarily. Not primarily what is taking place here. You see, we come as a response to something that we've already received. Jesus Christ his life, His death and resurrection. We come to celebrate something that has already been accomplished in history. We come as responders first, not receivers. What we already have received. Please don't lose me in the logic. Some of you are like, you're speaking weird, weird stuff. The only point I'm trying to make is this. What we do when we come here on Sunday morning as the people of God, as we do so in response to God's saving work in our life and uniting us to a people that have been saved by His grace. We come responding to that. Okay? Amen. God has done something, we respond. We are called to worship the Lord in response to who He has revealed Himself to be in His Word and through His work in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So when we come together, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're responding to the Lord. But lest we think that just attending, and sitting, and listening, and giving, and bringing our Bible, and maybe putting some money in the offering plate, giving somebody a smile, uh, lest we think that responding to God's action is merely an external response. Uh, Psalm 95 uh, points to the contrary. Look at verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, 
For 40 years I loathed that generation and said there are people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Yes, corporate worship is an external response. You get out of bed. You uh, put on your clothes. Someone say amen. You, you take a shower first. And you drive here and you come and you interact with a people. And we see it. And you sing and you raise your hands and you clap. And you pray and you close your eyes. There's an external responding to what God has done. But understand this. We cannot reduce corporate worship to just some sort of religious ritual that we check off. That at the end of the day, the response that God wants from us is a response of our heart before Him. That this nation was a people that, that, that learned to do, quote-unquote, what was right as they worshipped Him according to the Mosaic Law and, and, and followed through on the ordinances and, and all the instructions. But understand this, that God was looking past the external rituals and was looking at their heart to see where their heart was before Him. And so as we approach worship, corporate worship, we have to understand that, that, that God can see right through the externals. And that really the response that God wants and intends through the work of Jesus Christ is something so much more than what we put on display on the outside. But that God in worship is longing for a heart to be pure and upright before Him. That you on the outside can act the part and look like you know God and celebrate His saving work, but that in the deepest part of you, something could be completely off and wrong. In your heart, you could be present here physically, but can be so absent when you come together with God's people in a very spiritual sense. That your heart can be far from God. That's a scary thing. Because we can, we can numb ourselves into thinking that everything is fine by just showing up on Sunday. But really, the heart response that God intends through the work of Jesus Christ is a response that is deep in our soul, that changes the very way in which we respond to God and is something that is a matter of the heart. You can do all the right things on the outside, but your heart can be hard. It can lack a genuine trust and adoration of God. Look at Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, David says. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Worship, responding, is a matter of our heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God is interested in our heart before Him in worship. Not just a mere external response, 
but an internal response. Jesus, speaking to the woman at the well in Samaria, says this, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. There's the nature of God again. The nature of God has much to say about the way in which we worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Your heart. Where's your heart before God when you come on Sunday morning? I love Timothy Johnson's book. He says this. He says, what is significant? Internal matters are. The internal matters of worship. The intent. The motive. The intensity. The sincerity. And reverence are the critical concerns. I think this leaves us with an appropriate self-examination. Where's our heart in corporate worship? And I think that's to individuals here, right? As individuals, we examine ourselves and we say, what's our motive? What's our intent? Why am I here? What am I hoping to accomplish? What's this all about? But I also think it's something as a church that we should be thinking about. What's, what's the motive? What's the intent? And how do we reinforce that in all that we do in this 90 minutes together? What, why are we here? What's the motive? What's the intent? This is calls for a corporate examination, not just self-examination. It's our heart before God, collectively. Is it, is it upright? Is it pure? Does it have integrity? Is it consistent with what the Scriptures say? Are we just honoring God with our lips here this morning? Are we far from Him? Are we a people that genuinely and sincerely in the deepest part of who we are, enamored by the work of God in Christ, awestruck at His glory and His grace. We're grateful for the fact that God has chosen to enter into history and to redeem us as His own and is bringing us to heaven. Why are we here? It's a matter of the heart, not just an external one. So if you're hearing His voice today, don't harden your heart like the Israelites did. When they questioned the Lord's provision. So you may be here this morning, you look it, but in the deepest part of it, you're questioning God's provision. You're questioning His goodness. You're questioning His nature rather than actually celebrating it. It's an internal question that we must ask. Nonetheless, 
We're a people that are called to worship the Lord in specific ways as a response to His nature and as a response to His work to make us His very own people. That's what we say up there every week. We're here to celebrate the work of the gospel with God's people. What an awesome privilege we have as we gather together today. And if this is what we're doing, how should we do it? How should we respond? Like, what specifically should we do when we gather together? Does it matter? Some would say no, as long as we don't do things that are explicitly prohibited, it doesn't matter what we do when we come together, right? I mean, if you just look at the, 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 the commands and the instructions in the Old Covenant, you, you go, well, in the Old Covenant, it really mattered to God what the people did in response to Him, right? Because when He brought those people out of Egypt... He gave them a bunch of instructions about exactly what they were going to do, and they were pretty extensive, pretty complex, like massive detail about this is how you are to worship me, and you cannot worship me that way, right? The New Covenant, we say, that's all abolished, that's all gone. Maybe God doesn't care how we worship Him anymore, just as long as we love Him, and we approach Him, and we do this, we... but what do you think? Does God care how we worship Him? It's been a debate for centuries. We can do whatever we want as long as Scripture doesn't prohibit it. Or we have to do exactly the way Scripture guides it and directs it. Over the past couple of years, we've been doing a lot of thinking about this as leaders. Like, what are we doing? What is our worship service uh, uh, um, what, are, what are we accomplishing? Is it faithful? Is it based on Scripture? The songs that we sing, the, pray, the prayers that we pray, the way we preach, the giving, the, the Lord's table, all these things that we do when we gather, we're trying to uh, look at it and say, is this biblical? We want to be faithful. We don't want to create rules that, that the Bible doesn't create. Amen? It's the last thing we need. The Bible's sufficient. We don't need more rules in the Bible. And none of us even want more rules in the Bible, right? So we're cool with that. But does the Bible give us any indication? Does the New Testament give us any pattern for worship? What did the early church do? If they responded. How is it the same or indifferent from what the Old Testament or Old Covenant laid out. But one thing, we, one thing that we can say for sure is that God cares how we worship Him. Right? Matters to Him. It matters to Him. In our family, we've tried to exemplify this to our kids. In our family vision statement, we say that the Maisie family exists to worship God the way He wants us to. You know, we live in a society today where people want to decide the way in which they're going to worship God. I hear it like this. I'm going to be worshiping God on the golf course today. Have you heard that before? Raise your hand if you've heard that. 
or I'm going to be worshiping God on my boat today. Okay, right, worship is all of life. This isn't some special sanctuary, what we're doing here. This isn't God's house. This is just a building, guys. <laughs> you know, it's, it's got paneling in it. If this were God's house, you know, you may not want to be interested in worshiping that God. It's got paneling in it. You know what I mean? It's just a building. It's just a building. And so they're going to worship God on the boat today. Apart from God's people, apart from the preaching of the word, apart from the ordinances, no singing, no, just going to enjoy creation. Heavens declare the glory of God. I'm going to say amen. Right? You see, culture, nominal Christianity wants to worship God the way they want to worship God. And I think, I don't know about you, but I have that tendency in my own heart. I want to call the shots. I want to decide what is good and what is right and what is faithful. Maybe some sort of distorted acceptance of grace doesn't matter. But we see that it does. Matter of fact, we just celebrated the 500 years of the Reformation, and uh, Timothy Johnson talks about how this became a core issue for John Calvin. Right? For Luther, it was simple, right? How is a man justified before God? That was the, the central issue of the Reformation. That, that, that Luther was like, man, the, the, we've got it all wrong in Roman Catholicism. This is not right. Justified by faith. Right? But for Calvin, the issue of the Reformation was worship. How we worship. How is God to be worshipped? So for, for Luther, he says, the enemy of the faith was works. But for Calvin, the enemy of the faith was idolatry. The way in which God's people worshipped God in light of his nature. And so this has been an ongoing debate. The bottom line Scripture became the guide for biblical worship for Calvin. Timothy Johnson said this, to put it simply, in worship we pray the Bible, we sing the Bible, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, and we see the Bible in the sacraments, we Baptists would say ordinances. Someone say amen. The language of Christian worship is the language of Scripture. Why? Because this is what converts, sanctifies, and edifies God's people. You know what sanctifies, converts, and edifies the church? The Word of God. And so when we talk about corporate worship, what are we doing here? And why are we doing it? We're doing it in response to who God is as revealed in the Scriptures. And we're also doing it in the way that God lays out in the Scriptures. Right, this is, corporate worship is all about joyful submission to God's authority together as His people. Not just the who we worship, but also the how we worship. And so our series is under the Word. How do we worship together? We do so under the Word of God, submitted to its authority, letting it guide our worship, right? Even the way that we start our worship services, there is a scripture passage that is read. We call it the what? Call to worship. Why is that? Because again, it is God who initiates our worship and He does so through His Word. Today, if you're hearing His voice, don't harden your hearts. It always gets back to God's Word, His voice, His revelation, and we are the ones who are responding to that. 
And God cares how we respond. Bobby Jameson says this, instead of performing an elaborate series of sacrifices and offerings, not the same as the old covenant, Christians gather to hear the word, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, and see the word in the ordinances. Hashtag Baptist. And all of this aims at building up the body in love so that we may all attain to the maturity of in Christ. God's Word, in the midst of God's people, empowered by God's Spirit, leads to maturity in God's Son. That's what worship is all about. And the Word of God plays central, is central to this. It's under the Word. And so, my encouragement to you, as we read Psalm 95, which I think is a helpful way to call us to worship as the people of God, is to see that it's a responding to who He is. It, it's, it's responding to His revelation, to what He's done for us in Jesus Christ. It is an appropriate reaction to God's action in history that we gather for corporate worship. We do so submitting to Him with God in mind first. And we do so to build up and edify others Second, what a wonderful byproduct as we worship God, serve others, that as they do the same, we are served and encouraged, right? Imagine if every Sunday, every single one of us came with a God-centered heart and an other-centered heart. Centered perspective. <laughs> it's got that new teakwood stuff from Bath and Body. I smell kind of good, actually. Centered, unright. Other-centered view. If everybody comes thinking about everybody but themselves, guess what? In the end, someone's loving on you. Someone's loving on you, right? If everybody's serving, you're being served. Everybody's being served. It's a beautiful thing, right? So this is what we do. And I'm not going to go through it. It's kind of an intro to the next five weeks. Because we worship under the Word, we preach and we listen. We preach the Bible, we teach the Bible, we read the Bible, The ministry of the Word is central to corporate worship. That's what we do. Next week, we're going to focus on preaching as part of corporate worship. Two, we sing, right? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, verse 1. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I think David Crowder in his CD, Lime, which dates me, he says, make a loud noise, right? I'm the only person that knows that. That's in there. Joyful, loud, exuberant. We sing. We pray. Prayer is central to corporate worship. This is what we do. We pray. 
And we're even working on it. I think you've seen that, that the, a prayer of adoration now comes after the call to worship. Because this is what we do. We pray. We call upon the Lord. Giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Giving. You see it in Acts chapter 2. That in response to the gospel, immediately, this is what they did. They shared the resources. They gave to the church. It was dispersed to those who had need. It was uh, giving resources to fulfill the mission, the ministry of the church. And then, of course, partaking the Lord's Supper, which, just a quick tease, if you're thinking about skipping the last week of February, no pun intended on this sermon, don't skip because Ethan's preaching. Now it's real, Ethan. He's preaching. Ethan's in the back. If you don't know Ethan, he's the cool hipster in the back. He's preaching on the Lord's Supper. So we should be getting excited about this, okay? So that's it. And what you see is a, a, a simplicity to corporate worship that's different than the Old Covenant. Such a simplicity. There's guidance and there's direction we shouldn't be adding to do a bunch of other things that the Scriptures don't tell us to do. But this is simply the way in which we respond. Simple. Phew. Right? We preach, we listen, we sing, we pray, we give, we partake. All of that is in response to what God has done and who He is. So that's the next five weeks. And so I'm going to end the message by just simply giving you a few uh, practical considerations. If this is what worship is, and this is how we're to engage in worship, if God cares how we respond, uh, and because of what it is, a responding to His nature and who He's made us to be, let me be very clear about this, okay? Let me be very clear. Because of who God is and what kind of response He's calling us to, structure your life to be here. Period. No caveats. Structure your life to be here. We have so many half families this morning due to sickness. Please, we understand. Um, not everyone can make it every week for a number of reasons. Even thinking about uh, policemen and firemen and nurses and doctors who imagine if we took all of, uh, all of the Christians out of those um, fields. That would be silly. You know, the, the church is always taught by, by matters of duty and necessity, with the exception of duty and necessity. But for all intents and purposes, the Christian life is one that structures itself to engage with God's people in corporate worship. Not because of some rule, but because of God's nature. And because of the way that He has brought us together. One of the biggest identifying markers of the Christian life as opposed to the Home Depot culture, right? Is that we gather together on the Lord's Day for corporate worship. This is what the church did. We see it in the book of Acts that they were meeting daily, regularly, constantly, encouraging one another, devoted to the apostles' teaching, breaking bread, being in homes. And over time, the church uh, began to no longer practice on the Sabbath in the synagogue, but would meet on the Lord's Day as a way to celebrate the resurrection. This is what the church did. This is who we are as the people of God. It's not really a rule, a ritual. 
This is an identity. This is the nature of God. This is who He has made us to be. This is how we live in response to that reality. And the consequences of missing are more dire than we might think. As Hebrews chapter 3 talks about, that we're to take care, lest there be in any one of us an evil, unbelieving heart, causing us to fall away from the living God. What are we supposed to do instead? Exhort one another daily. Hebrews 10, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as the day is approaching, the day of judgment. So we are. Don't miss out on that. Structure your life. Sometimes life gets structured for you. I get that. But sometimes we make decisions, right? And you know why we make them? Because of what we really value. Because of who we think we really are. And maybe because we've misunderstood the nature of God and His work. I don't want to be too harsh on this. And really, when we added make every effort to come to weekly corporate worship as a part of our membership covenant, we didn't do so with some sort of let's fill the seats. Let's make sure everybody comes so that we feel good about ourselves. We took a look at ourselves and said, this is significant. This is non-negotiable. This is not an option for discipleship, for biblical community. This is, this is central to who we are as the people of God in this world. We're a people called out and gathered to himself. And missing regularly, often, will be massively detrimental to your spiritual walk with God. So when we added this commitment, we did so with your, with your walk with Jesus in mind. We care a lot about your walk with Jesus. We want you to grow and to be built up and to be edified because the life that you live is, is, it faces many obstacles in a secular world. And this is a way in which God encourages and builds you up. And so that's very significant to us. And because worship is a matter of the heart, prepare yourself accordingly. Don't just show up and check off some box. Prepare yourself for corporate worship. I want to confess to you that even as a pastor, I cannot be prepared for the worship of God on a Sunday morning. Especially when you're dragging three kids. We always joke like, I'm the only job in the world that every time I go to work, it's like, bring your kid to work day. You know, like, I'm like, Doreen, imagine if, imagine if every time you taught a class, you had to bring Annika, Evelyn, and Silas with you. Like, every Sunday is bring your kid to work day for me. It, it, I'm not, I, I love it. I love having my family with me, so please don't hear that as a complaint. But there are some times when I'm doing this, get, that I kind of lose sight about what God's doing this morning. <laughs> Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. God has grace for that. He understands. You know, but let's prepare our hearts. Maybe we pray Saturday evening. Maybe we wake up a little earlier rather than sleep in on Sunday. I know it sounds nuts, but maybe we prepare ourselves for this significant moment in the life of the church. It's a matter of our heart, not just showing up. Amen? Because God cares how we worship, engage fully. From the call to worship to the benediction, 
Let's be all in. Let's engage fully. Let's make decisions to pray, to close our eyes, to open our eyes. Let's engage fully. Let's be all in. God was all in when He sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for our sins and raise us to new life. He was all in. And may our responding to Him be all in. May it be appropriately so. I'm going to make one um, practical announcement on this. You know, there, or um, admonition. The cellular telephone is killing us in corporate worship. I'm, confession. I get notifications on this all throughout the service. I'll turn off your notifications. Okay, fine. You do too. Facebook, Instagram. I even catch myself sometimes. I'm going to take a picture and put it on Facebook. I go, why am I doing that? Right now, like, we're singing, and I'm Instagramming. I don't think Scripture's teaching me to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, is that really appropriate? Right? I've seen this be such a distraction from parenting, distraction from productivity. It is grabbing a hold of our heart and our mind and our attention. You can say what you want. You can disagree with me. You can say it's just neutral. Yeah, maybe. We're not, though. We're not neutral. Let's be careful to put this aside for 90 minutes when we worship together. Right? Let's stop treating this like our Bible. I mean, you can read it as your Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong. There's nothing, there's nothing holy about leather, although it does feel a little nicer. Let's be all in. And let's put Facebook away for 90 minutes. Can we do that? It's not appropriate as it becomes a response to the nature of God. It's not a rule. It's not really appropriate based on the nature of God. Let's engage fully from the call to worship to the benediction. Heart, soul, mind, and strength worshiping the God that has saved us. Last thing, and I know I've gone long, and to be honest, I'm kind of done with worrying about that. Here's the deal. Here's the beautiful thing. Back to the original question, why are you here this morning? You want to know why you're here? Because someday you're going to be there. And I'm talking about eternity. You know what makes this, unlike any other gathering, there's a lot of gatherings throughout the week. Do you know what makes this unique? It gives us a picture of eternity. In this moment, in this time, our eyes are opened to our eternity. If you want to know what I'm talking about, turn to Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22. That in the end... We are the called out, gathered together in the manifest presence of God in the new Jerusalem, worshiping and singing and seeing. When you come here, you get a picture of eternity. Why are you here? Because someday you're going to be there.
And we get to see that reality invade us in time and space. No other reality, no other gathering, no other collection of people, no other regular kind of ritual come together. No, nothing else can give you that picture of eternity than what, than what we do here when we gather as a local church. So engage fully and open your eyes to eternity. That's what we do when we worship God. We get a picture of forever in the moment. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the call that you've placed. You've told us exactly what you want. You want us to come and to sing, to gather, to bow, to kneel, to make a loud noise, sometimes to be silent, to say nothing. But Lord, most of all, we praise you that there's good reason to do all that. You've taken the initiative. You've saved us from sin. You've reconciled us back to you through Jesus Christ. We are the people that you have chosen by your grace to indwell, to live with, to live in. You've forgiven us of all of our sins. You've given us a future and a hope and a destiny. And so we appropriately respond. You are our maker, our creator, our, the rock of our salvation for all that you are. We turn to you in worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.